Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today we're going to continue with our exploration of the Nazi camp system and um, particularly what we're going to look at today is how the Nazi state used propaganda to explain to the public um, the workings of the camp system and how the uh, German general public by and large uh, was, in the at least in the early years, uh, enthusiastic about the work of the camp system as they saw it and how uh, the Weimar German obsession with crime and law and order fed into these views. So in the last podcast that we uh, did on this particular topic area of the Nazi camps before the war, which as you know has been an ongoing theme on the Explaining History podcast, uh, we looked at the treatment of asocials and we um, examined the fact that uh, in the final years before the war, the majority of inmates in the camps were had the asocial classification. Um, and the majority of victims, the majority of fatalities in the camps between January 38 and August 39, um, there were 1,200 deaths were um, uh, if in the uh, asocial category. So the, the camps became a place, more than anything else, more than a, an instrument of political terror, more than um, a, an attack on the Jews before the war. Um, they became a, a way of um, Hitler's social cleansing. They became a, a dumping ground for people who did not fit the model of what uh, a productive Aryan citizen looked like. Uh, these were vagrants, petty criminals, people with drink and alcohol problems, mental health problems, physical health problems, and those who were long-term unemployed for one reason or another. However... The regime began to start to merge categorizations. There were not um, strict delineations between uh, political and social enemies uh, in, um, uh, towards the end of the Second World War. Himmler spoke openly about, in 1933, having faced what he called a Jewish communist asocial organization, 
which is um, the the kind of the ultimate figment of Nazi imaginings and and and, and Nazi paranoia. Um, the early camps had first concentrated on the destruction of the political left, um, but as time passed, they became um, focused focused on. Um, Something that was actually, in some ways, perhaps more more acceptable and, and widespread, um, a war uh, against the people at the margins of society. And now, as this function changed, um, the official way that the camps um, spun their narrative changed as well. Um, Nicholas Vashtman, in his book KL, writes... Already in the mid-1930s, media reports placed growing emphasis on the detention of social outsiders. Most prominently was a five-page story on Dachau, published in late 1936 in a glossy Nazi magazine with 20 pictures of the camp and its inmates. Right from the beginning, the article stressed how much the prisoner population had recently changed, it said. These are no longer the political inmates of 1933, of whom only a small percentage is still in the camp, while the rest have long since been released. But for the most part, a selection of social elements, recidivist political muddleheads, vagabonds, workshop persons and drunkards, emigres and Jewish parasites on the nation, offenders against morality of every kind, and a group of professional criminals on whom preventative police custody has been imposed. So this, to many um, German citizens who'd lived through the Weimar years, was quite an attractive message. Um, the prisoners were being educated through military discipline, um, rigorous cleanliness. There was, once again, as I referred to this before, this um, Himmler obsession with cleanliness and hygiene and the presumption that people who lived... Uh, not lifestyles which were um, an anathema to the Nazis uh, weren't, were in some way unhygienic. Um, and also, of course, work. Um, that work um, would, that they had tried to avoid all their lives, they had shunned, would be transformative. They would suddenly learn to set aside their own selfish petty needs and to um, work in the interests of the, the, the racial community. Um, the uh, Nazis were at pains to demonstrate that prisoners were basically well-treated. Um, they were healthy, they were well-fed, um, they didn't suffer from um, SS brutality, and in many cases, the Nazis argued, these prisoners um, had it better inside, a better life inside, than they would ever have had um, living uh, on the streets or in uh, slums or wherever they came from. Again, this was a reassuring message to people who perhaps felt a little bit unsure about Nazism. These were people who could look at the official justifications for what was happening and tell themselves uh, an attractive myth. They could tell themselves that the, uh, the Nazis were actually doing right by these poor unfortunates and it was really uh, the best thing for them uh, and that nothing else really was going to cure society's ills. Um, people very often in uh, the early 1930s, well, the, the first part of the Nazi regime, flocked to official justifications 
for um, the, the, the camps uh, and uh, were happy to consume any line that they were, were presented with. And one thing that was abundantly clear that was, was that for some prisoners there would never be the possibility of release and that they would be uh, incarcerated forever for the good of themselves and for the good of the national community. Um, the Nazi propaganda um, basically told a simple story that without the permanent presence of an oppressive state, society could never be at peace, could never be free and could never be safe. And so it required these measures in order to save the uh, entire racial community from waves of crime. And crime was an overriding obsession um, in Weimar society, um, had been, and also in the uh, society that the Nazis attempted to build. It was uh, understandable that in the first six months of the regime, when the uh, brown shirts go on the rampage, and Germany appears to be even more lawless than ever, that, the, uh, that Hitler was uh, anxious to quickly intervene and try to do something to curb the excesses of the brown shirts, which obviously ultimately uh, results in the Night of the Long Knives, because of this fear that, uh, German, that the German public um, would see Nazism as a lawless continuum of the Weimar years. Um, ignoring for the fact that uh, during the Weimar years the Nazis were responsible for a considerable amount of said lawlessness. But anyway, uh, Nicholas Vashman writes, Weimar society had been fixated on crime, especially during its final years, with an ever-louder chorus clamouring for harsher measures against deviants. The Third Reich could build on this noxious legacy, even with some political prisoners supporting the indefinite detention of selected social outsiders. Nazi media reports about the KL exploited existing prejudices, with staged photos of prisoners in menacing poses and covered in tattoos. On our walk through the camp, in uh, the 1936 magazine feature about Dachau declared, we often encounter the, type of, uh, the typical face of the born criminal, playing on popular beliefs in physiognomic theories. Such stories had some impact on the Third Reich, perpetuating the image of the camps as places full of dangerous deviants and strengthening the common conviction that Hitler had made the streets safe again, a myth that long outlived the Nazi regime inside Germany. However, um, as with so many things in Nazi Germany, uh, obsession drifts into apathy in the minds of the general public. Um, but in the second half of the 1930s, this acute fascination with the camps is you know, what goes on behind those walls, who goes in there, what do they do, what have they done, these sorts of questions, um, really give way to indifference. Um, even those that had once uh, been um, political enemies of the regime, the former SPD and, K and uh, KPD men and women who had perhaps managed to evade incarceration and had we're now um, trying to live life below the radar. A great deal of indifference um, uh, emerges. The, uh, as Rushman puts it, the novelty of the camp had long worn off. Um, on top of this, the detainees came from the margins of society. Now, um, there were people being detained who 
often weren't particularly sympathetic characters. People with um, addiction problems or people with all sorts of uh, complex social issues who, for whom um, educated and urban um, professional uh, individuals who may well have had um, oppositional thoughts to the regime um, ha- were, were less likely to kind of empathise with, connect with and care about. Um, and these were individuals who were also arrested away from the public eye. Um, people who were arrested in uh, poorer suburbs or slums in German cities uh, and could be um, quickly and anonymously bundled into the back of a van. Um, and when there were even mass raids against um, asocials and criminal, the criminal classes, as previously mentioned in the previous podcast, um, there was uh, potential for the SPD in exile to make a, a great deal of capital out of this. But this goes largely unreported by them. Of course, this is largely unreported by the German press, because the German press are, is um, uh, effectively muzzled, if not self-censoring. Um, the wider trend um, that we can identify here is one of the camps slowly kind of uh, disappearing, vanishing from um, public life, from public attention and public focus. They simply become part of the infrastructure of the everyday um, and part of the, the everyday experience. They become part of the new normal, and when things become part of the new normal, then there is uh, little reason to question or challenge them. Now, if we talk about the propaganda victories of the Third Reich, which is a, a kind of a very fraught area, a very questionable area, this is certainly one of them. The, if the, the, the greatest achievements of the uh, regime of people like Joseph Goebbels is the normalization of the previously abnormal. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, and the um, incorporation of the um, machinery of totalitarianism into the experience of the everyday and the, its naturalisation, the natural assumption that this is, of course, where you know, bad sorts of people are sent and it is probably for the best, so there's not much else to say on the subject. 
Prisoners who were released were understandably reluctant to say anything for fear of re-arrest, uh, and fewer were released um, towards the end of the decade. Um, those who did um, were perhaps unable to really break through and make themselves heard. There was um, such a, a small audience uh, in order to, to receive them. There were their friends and families who perhaps didn't want to hear, didn't want to know. The organised left had been uh, devastated by the regime. Um, and the uh, trauma uh, that they had experienced was, to some degrees, indescribable. It was, to some degree, um, uh, impossible to, um, to, do, to uh, make... <clears throat> People realised the enormity of what was going on uh, in the camps. And of course there were large numbers of people who either didn't wish to hear or uh, simply rationalised the, uh, the camps uh, as, as they once had done. Um, however, the most important factor was that the audience for these reports was um, shrinking because of the growth in popularity of the regime. Despite the fact that in the first few years of the regime, um, popularity was faltering due to a, a failure to adequately address the uh, economy. Uh, by the uh, years 36 to 38, there was um, a, an influx of um, government spending into the economy that's to stimulate the arms industry. And as a result, this led to um, a wider enthusiasm to embrace the regime and to overlook the the kind of the, the eggs broken in order to make uh, the omelette, so to speak. Um, the population didn't completely forget the camps. Um, it didn't completely forget the stories of terror inside. Um, in the public mind, of course, the camps are associated with abuse. People aren't naive enough to assume that there isn't violence in the camp. Um, however... The uh, population who is at least uh, resigned to the Nazis or adjusted to Nazi rule or reasonably content with the Nazis uh, accept that they, there will be a price to pay and of course it's not being paid by them. So what the camps represent in the public mind by the end of the 1930s is a kind of a, a very unpleasant kind of bargaining the unfortunate side effect of uh, helping society to deal with its problems. This was a, a kind of a, a widespread rationalisation. The regime didn't necessarily want the camps to be too high profile. Um, they were content for the camps gradually to blend into the background. They had been uh, useful as a high profile feature in the first part of the 1930s. Um, however, as the decade wore on, it became more and more expedient for a sense of normalcy to restore itself, um, much as in the Soviet Union, where the, the camps were uh, meant to be as far out of sight and out of the public mind as possible. In Nazi Germany, uh, the camps could gradually fade uh, away. Um, the, there was the occasional reminder when necessary that they were there as kind of um, powerful tools that the state employed. Um, however, the regime had no desire to bring the camps back into the media limelight 
Um, there was no need for um, uh, rehabilitating, rehabilitating the reputation of the camps, particularly um, as rumours, uh, as we said, you know, the, the public discourse around the camps gradually kind of ebbs away. And there, there needed to be a certain degree of ambiguity about the camps. The government needed to be able to deny that the camps were a source of violence. Uh, but there always needed to be that kind of degree of uh, ambiguity of uh, the possibility that, they, that perhaps they might be in order to prevent kind of a, a complacency on, on the part of the general public. Fashman writes, The Nazi authorities were still unsure about the popularity of the KL, despite their alleged contribution to the Nazi fight against crime. Barely a week after the big Dachau photo spread had appeared in 1936, the authorities even issued a secret order to cut down on press reports about incidents inside the camps, such as reports. Now, such reports, uh, Reich Press Chief Otto Dietrich announced confidentially, are apt to trigger damaging effects at home and abroad. So it's interesting that um, foreign uh, perceptions of Germany were, um, were important to Germany. It was quite sensitive to how it was being perceived. The regime um, had become obviously very good at managing knowledge about the camps inside Germany, but uh, foreign opinions harder to manipulate and harder to control. The Nazis obviously try. They attempted to improve the camp uh, image uh, abroad, and famously in 1935, they invited the British uh, Royal British Legion to uh, make a tour of um, Dachau. Um, for those of uh, those of you who are listening um, around the world, the Royal British Legion is the the, the British um, uh, veterans institution here in the UK, veterans charity here in the UK. Uh, it was established after the First World War <coughs> with the help of uh, Field Marshal Haig, who'd obviously done so much to create maimed and crippled veterans. The deception worked well, um, and it was almost a leaf out of the Stalinist playbook. The um, um, Soviet Union, at a roughly the same time, was busy inviting um, naive Western democratic socialists to the Soviet Union to have a look at the, the wonderful work of Stalinism, um, even while the after-effects of famines were still uh, devastating large parts of Russia and Ukraine. So the deception on the British Legion um, worked. Um, the British Legion, uh, one uh, correspondent for the British Legion said that um, every SS man was uh, out to help any prisoner to make the best of himself and the situation. Um, and, uh, this was um, put in a memorandum to the British Foreign Office. One might be startled by the naivety of uh, such statements. But in fact, when there were um, organisations of veterans in uh, Britain and Germany, with perhaps slightly more genuine intentions on the British part than, than in Germany, uh, looking to find uh, common ground uh, and looking to find kind of some sort of uh, reconciliation um, after the uh, First World War, it was quite easy for those organisations, especially at a time of high anxiety uh, and uh, a great deal of, of fear about Hitler's intentions and the possibility of a second war, it was a great deal, uh, great, very easy for those organisations to see what they wished to see. 
Overall, however, the the view uh, in Britain's newspapers, as uh, Richard Overy writes in The Morbid Age, is overwhelmingly negative of Nazi Germany, and popular opinions in Britain are overwhelmingly negative, as information of um, state terror leaks out quite easily. Um, the uh, foreign criticism of the camp um, really tended to coalesce around the, the fate of specific uh, political prisoners, uh, because that's obviously always a, an, an easier story to tell. And if you can look at some of the, the human rights abuses of our time, um, uh, it, they normally centre around a, a particular, uh, particular individual. Um, in Britain, um, the ongoing public appeals for the uh, political prisoner Hans Lytton um, led the German ambassador to conclude that his discharge would make the uh, position of the Third Reich uh, significantly improved um, in terms of, of public opinion. The regime uh, demand, uh, rebuffed all demands for his release and at a speech at the Nuremberg rally in 1935, Goebbels denounced Lytton as one of the main Jewish enemies behind the global communist conspiracy. Um, in another uh, more high-profile case, um, the Nazis partially gave in to foreign pressure. And this was the case of the pacifist Karl von Ossietzky, uh, for whom there was a, a campaign to award him a Nobel Prize. Um, he was a prisoner at Estevegen um, camp um, from February 1933 onwards, but was seriously ill uh, with a heart condition. Theodore Eich, uh, the uh, camp administrator for the entire system, knew that Ossietsky, um was dying, but advised Himmler not to free him anyway. And this was um, agreed with Heydrich, as he would become uh, an irritant to the SS and somebody who would be able, uh, if freed and possibly even exiled overseas, um, to um, cause all sorts of mayhem for the regime. Eventually, um, Goering overruled both of them, concerned about bad publicity in 1936, the year of the Olympics, and he was um, taken to uh, a Berlin hospital uh, where he uh, lived and died two years later, um, uh, under strict police guard. Um, he had learned before his death that he had been awarded the Nobel Prize um, and was pressurised by the Nazis to turn it down. However, under inten even though under intense pressure, uh, Ossietsky accepted the award, but he was banned from leaving Germany in order to accept it, and he died age 48, on May the 4th, 1938, um, his physical health having never fully recovered from his experience uh, in the camps. So there we have it. This is the, um, the, the first of uh, several podcasts this week. Uh, hopefully we'll return to the camp system soon, um, and we'll start focusing a little bit more uh, eventually on the camps during wartime. Thanks very much for listening, and I look forward to catching you on, on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.